0: now we're at a point where we're like wow we're in bad shape but there's good news
1: hi i'm vicki robin in partnership with the post carbon institute i'm hosting short to the point conversations with diverse cultural scouts asking each one the same question what could possibly go right The invitation is to see through these wise eyes what is opening up in the present moment as normal is upended and next is not at all clear. These conversations were recorded a few months into the pandemic and in the weeks following the murder of George Floyd. Let's see what today's guest says. Welcome to another episode of What Could Possibly Go Right. I am here with Reverend Lennox Yearwood. Uh, I don't know, I didn't know him and I don't know if y'all know him, so I'm going to tell you a bit about him before we get started because he's an amazing man. He entered the world of hip hop politics as the political and grassroots director for the Hip Hop Summit Action Network in... 2003 and four, he is uh, the president founder of the Hip Hop Caucus, a minister, a community activist, a U.S. Air Force veteran, and one of the most influential people in hip hop political life. So the Hip Hop Hip Hop Caucus is empowering communities impacted first and worst by injustice. Uh, They say that we link culture and policy to make our movements bigger, more diverse, and more powerful. We exist for everyone who identifies with hip-hop culture to come together for positive change. Being part of of a hip-hop caucus means you can use your cultural expression to shape your political experience. They say we build movements that people want to be part of, where you can be yourself, where you can come to learn about how issues that matter um affect your life where you hear from voices you care about where we speak to right and wrong in simple terms where we focus on solutions to problems and where big seemingly impossible challenges are broken into fights that we can win step by step together so here we are in in the biggest upheaval in this country in 50 years at least in my experience because so many things are coming together the pandemic the global uprising for racial justice, people falling off the economic cliff with little safety net, and in the background, a raging climate crisis. So here you are straddling hip hop culture and climate change, working for people of color, people on the bottom of the heap to be at the top of their citizen game. So with that background, our question for you who has a particular capacity to see into this time with clarity of years and a role as a reverend. We're asking you, what could possibly go right?
0: Well, I think, first of all, thanks for having me. Um, It's really nice to meet you. I'm glad we were able to connect. Um, This time is a very important time 2020, in my opinion, is a year of truth, and my job has simply been to work with young people and particularly young people who are at risk and on the margins. That has been my life's work forever. When I was young, and now that I'm not so young, (laughs) I continue to work with young people Um, from vulnerable communities and young people who are literally fighting to make sure their voice is heard. To your point of what can go right and how spirituality can be used in this moment, um, particularly for young people, they're coming up in a generation where they may not look upon the institutions um, the same way. They may not look upon the church or the synagogue or uh, the mosque The same way as they have to go there, that's the place. They see their spirituality much more open. Definitely, the institution is still very important. But they also see it being one in which they can commune with their spirit on a more personal level and more intimate level um, by themselves. And also, their spirituality um, is used to focus their fight for justice. Now, that's not new because we've seen for many years, uh, particularly people of color and women and all kinds of marginalized communities, literally using their faith to fight for justice. And so that's what I do. Um, I I literally uh, combined my faith with this belief that we can do what's right. I use my faith in an effort to bring us together, we're black or white or brown or red or male or female, um, this human to bring us together. And so that's the ultimate goal for what we're trying to do and how I utilize my spirituality to uh, make a difference.
1: Yeah, I, I, um, I'm really interested in, I don't know if I'm borrowing your words or mine, but. And this is a, a moral moment. It's it's a, you know, it, there's a lot of issues that are on the table, but there's some underlying right and wrong here. There's some underlying, I hate to say it because it might sound too extreme, but it's it's like we're we're sort of like the Roman Empire at the you know, we're sort of we're sort of like the Pharisees and Sadducees, you know, in the time of Jesus, you know, we have as a society, I believe, and this isn't my interview, it's yours, but I believe we've lost our moorings. And so is this, do you see this time, this uprising, and all the things that are coming together, does does seeing it as a moral moment mean anything to you?
0: It's a moral moment, but I think it's also, if I can just use an analogy, it's something where when somebody has um, a heart scare because they haven't been living right, they've been eating the wrong food, haven't been exercising, they've been ignoring the things to to make themselves healthy. Then all of a sudden, one day, they begin to feel their chest tighten and they get really, really scared. This is that moment where as a country, we haven't been doing right for quite some time. And we've been just eating a lot of junk and doing a lot of bad things to many communities throughout, either from education, to housing, to healthcare, obviously how we treat one another through racial discourse. And so this moral moment you're talking about is one in which we have been literally creating spiritual decay for quite some time. We've been investing in things not to bring us together, to the terrorists apart. So this moment, you're right, it's a moment when this, this country is having a heart attack. And they're literally feeling the pain of the years of neglect, the years of literally putting forth images of hate of the Confederate signs or numerous kinds of things. They've been doing things as far as extraction on the climate side and, 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 and the colonializing and, and literally how we treat our brothers and sisters. This is that moment. So you're right. This is the moment when kind of everything has shut down. So from the pandemic, to poverty, to pollution, to police brutality, to man, so many different problems. This is what happens when you neglect um, literally a, a spirit of a country that looks out for each other. Um, and now we're at a point where we're like, wow, we're in bad shape. But there's good news like when you have a, 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 that heart scare and you don't die you can now begin to change your diet you can begin to exercise you can begin to you know change those bad habits and so that's where we are now we have to change our political discourse we have to change those who are in political power we have to change the situation where um you know how we're treating Uh, each other. I think the cry now for the movement for Black Lives is simply that Black Lives Matter. It's just a human rights issue, not a political one. We have to change how we treat one another. And I think if we can do that, we can move forward. You know, the difference for those I work with, um, my parents um, and many of their grandparents fought, fought for equality in the 20th century now this generation is fighting for existence in the 21st century and so they have a time clock it's not the same way where they have to just okay we'll get it right we'll make sure that the people can ride on the front of the bus or you can sit at the lunch counter or you can drink from the water fountain and it will take 30 40 years to get to that point they understand that if we don't get it right now that it'll have disastrous effects for them moving forward. And so the urgency now to get it right is what you're seeing. You're seeing an urgency. You're seeing a passion. You're seeing a drive to say, listen, we have got to change our bad habits, our bad ways. We have to change it around. And it may cause pain. It may cause hardship. Um, You know, I had an old friend who once told me that it wasn't the change, but the transition that can throw you for a loop. So I think many of us will have to go through a transition that we're not accustomed to, but will ultimately make this country and our world a better place.
1: Yeah. And And so in this moment, you know, where we're in a what I might call a healing crisis, you know, and a healing crisis doesn't mean like, you know, unicorns and rainbows. A healing crisis is when you have a, you know, massive fever and, you know, people sit at your bedside and don't know if you'll survive. That's a healing crisis. So in this healing crisis, if you were a doctor at the bedside and you're looking at it, where do you see signs that we're actually, we're actually in a healing process and not a an extinction process. You know, what do you see emerging in this moment that that we can like work with?
0: I see A lot that we can work with. I mean, I think the first thing is in a healing crisis, which is a great word, and you have to first realize what got you to this point to begin with. And I think that we as a country and we as people, white people in this country, dealing with white supremacy and institutionalized racism have to really deal with the fact that, listen, there are a lot of things that got us to this point and we have to really deal with that. And that can be painful. That could really I mean, that can really cause us to, to really deal with some issues. But I think once you come to that awareness that that's something that can be fixed and we can change it around, we must for our, the next generation and our children's children, then I think that healing can take place. If you don't deal with what caused you to be in a position of ill in the first hand you're going to just be repeating the process over and over you may get healed quickly you may have a quick victory along the way you will be right back into your bed again you know praying to be healed hoping that you know you overcome this crisis that's what does get me excited i think this is one of the first times when i really feel that this moment is so painful it's so, it's so disturbing that it's one of those moments when we actually may become, as I say, quit cold turkey and be like, enough is enough. This feels so wrong. This moment feels so awful that if we don't fix it, if we don't come together as a nation and fix the issue of racism or the issue of our political discourse is so toxic, or the issue of pollution that's causing our our water to be bad and our air to be dirty, if we don't come together at this moment, then reality is is that we know that there is no turning back. I think we kind of know that. I think we know that this moment is bad. We've had bad moments in the past. We've had riots. We've had uprisings. We've had rebellions. But I think we know that this is something here, that if we don't fix it, then it's game over, that we are heading on a pathway. And that's also the exciting part, that we do know that, that we can come together. And I've seen it's just amazing. I've seen children, our children, 13 and 14, 15, in the streets, black, white, brown, red, male, female, Straight and gate, all of God's children in the streets, hand in hand, fighting for justice. That is something that we've never seen before.
1: What do you make of, of you know, so many other times when racial injustice has, has risen, um, it's still, you know, white people still treat it like it's the problem, a problem for black people. And what do you make of this moment as white people are pouring into the movement, um, as not just as allies, like we're gonna help you, it's like brothers and sisters, we're gonna make this an anti-racist nation. What do you make of why in this moment white people are showing up?
0: I think that you you made a, a great point that white people are now transitioning from being just white allies to white accomplices. And in which they are literally saying that no longer are going to let my black and brown and red sisters and brothers be the ones to face the brunt, but I am going to put my body on the line like never before in mass numbers. I'm going to speak out. Um, I just cannot. They're saying to themselves that what I saw with George Floyd, the fact that we literally saw the life being choked out of him in those eight minutes and forty six seconds. There is no way. The people now are saying that I can live with that. I am not going to go. You are now having white people who are saying I am not going to migrate, knowing what I saw, to not have done nothing. And that is a change. There's a there's a there's a there's a there's a, a deep spirit to them that is saying that no, I am not going to leave. My time on this planet to allow for that to continue. And if I can do everything with my resources, with my intellect, it's even my, my physical body, I am going to say that this must stop now. And that's the change. I think that, and that's something that I think that is surprising. I think people on the other side who want to continue that hate and division, they're like, what is going on? They must be communists or they must be, what's happening? No, you're seeing it throughout this country. Something has happened in this world. You're seeing a change in which people who are pretty white are dis- are saying to themselves, this must change. You're also seeing the children. I think the children who themselves saw a Black president who grew up seeing the possibility of hope are saying that, you know, I'm not, I don't know what this is with this kind of hate, this kind of anger, but that's not the world we want. And you're beginning to see children uh, challenge their parents. The neighborhood I live in, a neighborhood that is predominantly actually pretty much, it's middle class, but it's pretty well balanced. Um, And the other morning I woke up with, There was a caravan of kids who had gotten their their kids' cars, their parents' cars, and they were honking at nine in the morning on a Saturday morning, and they were honking. It was mostly about 100 cars honking through our neighborhoods, mostly white kids, yelling Black Lives Matter. That's a change. I think you wouldn't have seen that. I think that would have been something that you would have been like, yeah, I'm with it. You might have seen one or two would have kind of went out there, but never in that kind of numbers and never themselves self-organizing to fight against racial injustice. That makes me so hopeful um, because that means that we have a new generation that is literally fighting their mothers and fathers, in some cases, to say what's right. And I think that we just have to make sure we give them the support they need um and the love and the hope to carry on
1: right Uh, that's beautiful i have i have one more question for you because i know that um you've been committed for a long time to resolving in whatever way we can the climate crisis and you know at this point who knows what resolution looks like you know we're we're deep into it now so so would you just reflect for a second on the relationship between what you see in this Black Lives Matter uprising and how that spark could leap over to the issue of climate change, which is still rolling in the background. Um, and that's been a pretty white movement. you know. So I'd just love to hear as a final reflection what you might say about that.
0: You know, one of the things is I, would say that I would have wanted the climate movement to have done more on the issue of indigenous and black and brown lives. No other movement should have been out front, to be honest, on this issue than the climate movement. 15 years ago this year will become the anniversary of Hurricane Katrina. And in that, we saw particularly poor people and Black people left behind in the richest country and most powerful nation in the world. And in that, the climate movement, which then created kind of an inconvenient truth to say what the climate crisis is, should have said that, you know what, we have seen throughout the years Black and Brown and Indigenous people left behind, we have seen the place is called Cancer Alley. We've seen what pollution can do. We know that 68% of Black people live near coal fired power plants. We know what's going on with the pollution. We know what's going on with the poor people in the Appalachian Mountains and those who are in West Virginia. So, poor people and Black people and Indigenous people are the ones who are facing the brunt of the climate crisis. We know this. But year after year after year, they ignore that. And so it's, it's somewhat dis- even before Black Lives Matter, the new uh, 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 movement in the 21st century, came about literally in 2012 um, with Trayvon Martin, the climate movement should have been seven years in advance. And so some parts of this is like, why is that not the case? And I think it's simply because of the climate movement basing themselves on privilege and also being comfortable. And so what I think needs to happen now is that we have to have a movement that says that we're no longer going to be comfortable. We're no longer going to use our privilege to protect ourselves. And the same systems that are causing the climate crisis in regards to extraction and that looking at uh, where people live and creating sacrifice zones and polluting water like Flint or, or creating hurricanes like Maria or, or, or Sandy or Katrina, we're gonna now take on that structure. Because that same structure that within the fossil fuel industry, which is from Exxon and Chevron and, and Shell and the banks that prop these things up, like Chase, Liberty Mutual, and so on and so forth, we're gonna say that that same structure of extraction and not looking at that people matter. If we take that on and defeat that, that will then help the issue of Black Lives Matter, the issue of indigenous and brown lives. If we begin to take it on from a more personal level and realize this has a a humanity aspect to it, then our movement, if we connect about simply between racial justice and climate justice, then we can be successful. Now, that also gives me hope that now I do believe, what I've seen from groups like the League of Conservation Voters and Sierra Club and NRDC and Greenpeace, and the list goes on and on and on, I'm beginning to see many of the larger environmental organizations begin to say, listen, we cannot do this work regarding climate justice if it doesn't have a racial justice framework. And if that really materializes, then I think that we would then begin to scare the fossil fuel industry and really begin to transition from fossil fuels to clean energy. That's actually where I think this moment not only connects, but also is our, is our what we would call, my, my son would say, our cheap code. It's, a, it's where we would get our success. That's the thing there, because when we begin to broaden this movement, and we have everybody involved, it just can't be people who are white, I just say, or Birkenstock. It just can't be a certain group of people. If we bring us all together and begin to see how we all are very powerful and can connect, then we can win. So that's my that's my thing. I think that we're beginning to see that now, and we're beginning to take on. So the same, uh, for instance, where BlackRock is, is um, as, as ensuring Uh, the police departments. They're also ensuring the pipelines. And so we're now beginning to break down the silos in our movement and now begin to work together. And I think once we do that, we will be successful. For too long, race has been the tripwire for the climate movement. But I think now we're about to cut that tripwire and move on to success. Being all of God's children, black and white, holding hands onto victory to clean not only a clean economy, but a clean future for future generations. And if we do that, then um, the next generations will say thank you because we now have clean air, and we have clean water to drink, and our planet is stable because of our courage and our fight now 20 years into the 21st century.
1: I feel like we should cue the organ. <laughs> That's so beautiful. And that just feels like a perfect, uh, perfect crescendo. Uh, thank you so much for bringing these considerations to this conversation about what could possibly happen. Right. Yeah, thanks. Thanks so much.